At The Home Depot, we're dedicated to helping you build the skills that get your home projects done right. That's why we offer free and interactive online DIY workshops. During the live streams, our knowledgeable associates help you tackle your DIY projects no matter your age or skill level. You can learn how to install new single pole switches as well as standard duplex and GFCI outlets. Register for free at homedepot.com slash workshops. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. Progressive presents Adjusting to the Suburbs. I never really thought about tools until I bought a house in the suburbs. It's like this weird homeowner test if I need a tool for a project and don't have it. And my neighbor Ted loves to give me that look when I ask to borrow a pole saw. A year ago, I didn't even know pole saws existed. And now I gotta borrow one from Ted? What is happening? Anyway, when you save with Progressive by bundling your home and auto, that's the easy part of adjusting to the suburbs. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company coverage provided in service by affiliates and third-party insurers. Welcome to Let It Roll, the podcast about how and why popular music happens, hosted by Nate Wilcox. Follow the Let It Roll podcast on Twitter at Let It Rollcast and check out our website at LetItRollPodcast.com. Let It Roll is a Pantheon podcast and you can listen to more great podcasts at www.PantheonPodcasts.com. Nate uses AKG microphones and headphones. Today, Nate returns with his cohorts Eugene S. Robinson, lead singer of the art punk band Oxbow, and veteran entertainment attorney Alexi Ald to continue their discussion of Netflix's hip-hop evolution. This week, they look at Notorious Big's life after death and the dreaded Jiggy era. Pop in those earbuds and enjoy. Time to let it roll. I'm your host, Nate Wilcox, joined by these two reprobates, Alexi Old and Eugene S. Robinson. We're continuing our discussion of hip-hop evolution on Netflix. This time we're talking season three, episode two, Life After Death, which focuses on the notorious Big and his empire with the Junior Mafia, Little Kim, Puff Daddy, Jay-Z, and the Jiggy Era. And first up... The first section is Big and Puff Daddy. Now, we talked about Big and his first album, Ready to Die, a few episodes back. Last time, we talked about the death of Tupac. And now, obviously, time is running out for Mr. Biggie Smalls. But some of the key quotes, and they chose to go in the direction of spinning the first part of the show talking about Big's mogul ambitions. Big wanted to be a mogul. And lucky for him, his manager was a mogul in the making, is what is the way Shad introduces it. I found that a little weird because how was it lucky that Puff Daddy was a mogul when Big wanted to have his own independent mogul? Do you guys have a take on that? It gave yeah, me, presum- yeah, gonna... presumably, if you want to learn how to be a mogul, talk to a mogul. It's like being a mason. Want to be a mason? Talk to a mason. Simple. The thing that got yeah, me, though, was prior to watching that, the conspiracy theory of uh, uh, Suge Knight wanted to have Tupac killed – because Tupac was going to leave death row. When I saw like, oh, he wanted to do his own thing. I was like, ah. And then I immediately looked up like, are there any conspiracy theories about uh, Puffy having Big killed? You know, because it's kind of strange. They would start out with that and then also think like, yeah, he wanted to have his own label and his own thing. And I was cool with that. Really? 
The conspiracy theories are about Puff having some connections in the LA underworld and people that he had hired to protect him slash put hits out on Shug Knight. And that, that, that came around back around to haunt him. There was some kind of falling out about that. And that's what led to Biggie, but we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. So, so first, you know, Tupac has passed. They're talking about Biggie, his vision for the future. He wanted to be a label, label owner. And, and, you know, so he puts together the junior mafia, which is nine dudes from Brooklyn that, that basically everybody admits Biggie just, had some pals that he wanted to carry along in his wake. And the story is they got nine guys because he had so many friends, but it's pretty obvious to me. It's a Wu-Tang Clan reference. Am I wrong? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, well, yeah, I think the whole thing, I mean, those guys were were on parallel paths. I think what RZA pulled off is, is kind of more what he was thinking about and, and less of, of, you know, champagne, uh, designer shirts and uh, and you know getting sexually serviced by Christopher Williams. I mean, I I, 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 te- I, te- I tend to think you know because you've seen that th- you've seen that thing picked up. I mean, Fifty tried it as well, right? He tried to have the whole the G unit, and then they actually had a falling out. And I was like thinking, is Fifty is it Fifty or is it Mayweather? Is it Fifty is my and finally I think it's is Mayweather because Fifty he was very candid about it. He said, look, you know, um. I set the table, but you guys got to bring something to the meal. You know, you got to be out there touring. You got to be working your social media. It can't be all me. And uh, when you had somebody like the Wu-Tang Clan, you had like lots of really motivated individuals, you know, who, who were willing really to bust their asses. Individuals. Motivated and talented Yeah, that, there's maybe a, a major difference. But, you know, sometimes you give people a form and they can do, I mean, it's interesting to see if you take these, secondary or tertiary crews how much real talent was there and how much was just trying to do a solid to, to dudes back home you know but i think i think the template is the wu-tang template and i don't think it was drawn from from diddy i don't think i mean maybe would have, have seen him gone into fashion but that whole rock aware thing that just didn't seem to be part of what he was thinking about when he pulled all those people in he was a fashion horse himself in his own way but uh i don't think that's what he was thinking about yeah, and then and then they talk about the the junior mafia a little bit, and then they zero in on the gym. What what Puff Daddy calls, uh, he had some talented, really charismatic characters around him, but he had this one gem, and it was Little Kim. And then yeah. they do the Little Kim section. But let's let's talk about what they missed here. First off, I thought they way under discussed Life After Death, Biggie's second album, which doesn't come out until yes. after he dies. But he's working on it up to his death. And it's his big double album, his final statement. And it's way more important to me than Junior Mafia or Lil' Kim. Am yep. I wrong? Yep. Yeah. Um, uh, for Junior Mafia, yeah, yeah, Lil' yeah, Kim. Yep, yep. Little, yeah, we'll talk about Lil' Kim. No, no, you're right. So, so, no. so it is bigger, right? Because it's, it's, it was, you know, it did blow up. And did extremely well, and has ten crack commandments and so many things on there. More money, so, more problems. And... Right. So right. Yes. Yeah. So so yes. Mm-hmm. So definitely, Junior Mafia just not even the same orbit as either yeah, Lil Kim or uh, Life or After Big. That. But I mean, the one thing in defense of Junior Mafia, which I went back and listened to this week, is it has Big on a number of songs, like Players Anthem. Yeah. That I think is really catchy, and and it's decent. I've heard worse albums from that era. Um, and and they never 
there's always big or Kim or other guests on the track. So it's never the junior mafia guys having to carry a whole song in there. Um, well, they couldn't, the one, they couldn't really. Right. I mean, that's, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's like the old joke about uh, the rock band, black Oak, Arkansas, that they had three guitarists who collectively didn't add up to one good one. And, yeah, you know, right. you got nine MCs that, and well, then also, I mean, but I mean, who do you, Lloyd Banks is the only one from G unit that I remember. I guess there were other guys that I don't remember them, you know? So, yeah. I mean, it's easy to forget side guys, but people that they did forget. Harlem, Harlem World, Harlem World. I, I remember Mace. That's about it, right? Yeah. And yep. a little, yeah. little Kim, but you know, so. Yeah, and we'll get to that. But the the one thing that they did love about was Easy Mo B, who produced Ready to Die, mm. and was a big producer. Um, early Wu Tang Wu Tang associate. He produced Genius's first album and Riz's first solo album before Wu Tang, and I think deserved a mention. I don't know if they just couldn't get him on the show or what. And I also don't talk about Craig Mack, who was the first artist of yeah, Big Boy. Yep, yep, yep. Or, yep, or Total, yep. which was the background yep. singers uh, yep. for Big, you know, and they don't talk about the extent to which Bad Boy from the get-go was kind of a hip-hop slash R&B label. Yep. Like, I think that that was kind of Puff's vision from the beginning was to go jiggy, if which will because they had that later. soundtrack uh man what was it something drive there was some soundtrack that they uh that that bad boy was behind that just totally blew up and really set them on the map in terms of total 112 uh and then you're right with craig mack flavor in the ear like that's the one that had you know so many different artists on it um that was kind of like setting the you know setting the uh the sword in the middle of the thing of you know i expected a lot out of craig mack and i'm not quite sure what happened styles uglier than craig mack i got the flavor <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah, there, yeah i think there's some personal stories i was looking at that a little bit that craig but you're crazy like that yeah, there's some weird, weirdness went on with, with puffy combs and craig mack like there's some interview where puffy references his album's about to drop and craig mack looks at him like you know what are you talking about because mm. my album's nowhere near ready and you know, but anyway, but now we get to Lil' Kim. And so, and I was kind of surprised by this when I first watched it, because Lil' Kim to me seemed more like a footnote, but then watching it, thinking about it, she was big, big, big time. And also I, I had not realized everything. the extent to which she raised the stakes for female rappers yep. in terms of commercial success. I mean, the first female rapper to go platinum and it's all, it's not all, she's a good rapper. She's a solid rapper. And, and that album is very much in the Nas tradition of, you know, one MC and then 10 producers basically, or six, seven producers. So it doesn't have a unified sound, but it's got, it's, it's much better than the stuff that's going to be coming out of bad boy in a, in just a couple of years. But the thing that they, and they do talk up her sexuality and they have, Look, that know, was, that was a shocker. That was a thing. The funny thing yeah. is listening to it again, today right for the first time since you know in in decades i remember in new york my friend's gp played it uh none of us had heard it before and it was so raw and so raunchy this guy that we were in the car with this harvard guy bougie guy like who never cursed or used the Lord's name in vain, just went off. He's like, this is why, this is why when 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 your daughter is is like a whore on a strip pole and rah, 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 and I don't he was just going crazy because the the hypersexualization of women on the album and in rap music like he just lost his 
shit. And a lot of people like, you know, there are, it, uh, some of those, uh, the lines in those songs were anthems for a lot of women back in the day. You know, I used to be scared of the dick, you know, so it, it so, so. It's like going from first class to coach. Yeah. <laughs> so she really <laughs> like, she just really hit just, uh, just the, I can't say the zeitgeist, but just really just. I think it, it was the zeitgeist. It was very much that Gen X 90s. But but but, it, but it, well, also I, 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 I connected I connected to Millie Jackson too, you know. Ooh. I mean that's well, in the, the piece about Millie Jackson. Sure. I think I connected him very directly. Yeah 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 yeah. But all at the same yeah. time, um, Foxy Brown came out and, and you know she also had a patty mouth too. So you know, and they showed the the cover of her album. So there was that kind of thing that was going on too. So it wasn't like just her in a vacuum. It was like an an, an arms race for like who has a female rapper that's cute. Right, that's attractive, but can just flow and just hit you with lyrics and delivery like harder than dudes. And it was, I remember a lot of guys like, yeah, I do not buy women's, uh, uh, I don't buy women rappers, but I bought Lil Kim or I, or I bought Foxy Brown. You know, it's just, it's that kind of thing that they were bringing to the table. And again, what I thought was fascinating about that album was it goes to, I guess, some of the best entertainment experiences one could have in the sense that when you listen to something for the first time and it hits you, you're like, what the fuck is this? You know, there's totally like shakes you and just, just not like anything else that you heard. That's what hardcore was. And that's what she was bringing to the table that really, in terms of a cultural touchstone was just mind blowing in rap. Yeah. However, 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 the elephant in the room, and I, this is why I keep making the gas face over here. Is that uh, this plastic surgery? Ah, man. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Fine. Yeah, we're not talking about now, no, but like just, back I, in the day. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah, no, yeah. No, 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 back in the day, that's fine. But I, I, I have to view it through the prism of now, and it's just like, I, you know, it's all sad. of that tough talk and all yeah. of that, yep, you yep. know, saucy self acceptance, yeah. and then I, I, I look at. You know, I, I know it's addictive. I know it's, but you know, why did you, how did you end up looking like a Jackson? How did that happen? You know, I mean. You are for real. Yeah, I'm really, <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's distracting and disappointing yeah. in the extreme, you know. Especially when they're so, showing footage of her in the 90s and then footage of her yeah, in the yeah. 2010s. She's black. <laughs> yeah, it's very disconcerting to see what plastic surgery is. It's so, it's so her, aggressive. But, it's yeah. so aggressive that without this documentary, I wouldn't have been sure they were the same person. It's true. It's true. She, yep. I mean, her nose looks like a. Yeah, I was like, who's like this? Chick? And then, then, yeah. then, like, I, I look away and I hear the voice. I go, oh, oh, yeah. What? 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 Nah, yeah. And I think that's yeah. the thing with her too, because remember, she was somebody who transcended rap. So she was somebody that was like seen as like a fashion icon and a lot of mainstream fashion designers just loved little Kim and loved her style and what, what she was bringing to the table in terms of her attitude. So I, I think that's probably what contributed to like what you saw in terms of the, I guess the, I, I was going to say final product is the fact that when you're all caught up in, okay, here's the look and here's how I have to look and here's what this kind of look is and here's so-and-so. It just, as opposed to somebody, you look at like a Moni Love like who just did nothing to her her face, you know? Or you or MC Light, Light looks still exactly the same. Exactly, MC Light too. Yep, looks you know great. And but the one thing they left out, the big thing that there are two things I think they left out of the section. And the biggest one to me is Big's role in sexualizing Little Kim because mm-hmm. I was watching another documentary that was just on Big, and they were everybody there was like you know Kim was super hardcore and she's doing gangster rap, and Big was like, girl, you gotta sex it up. 
you can't just be doing gang gangbang stuff and then and then in this they all paint it as kim pushing that and biggie being kind of like oh no you got you you, you you mean like the wrong gangbang stuff <laughs> <laughs> exactly and well, then, well and the then, ones with guns yeah, the ones with guns right. <laughs> yes yes and and then the other thing is the story well, because about, and, and that was and that, and that was and that was good advice because that was believable you know i i don't know i i don't know a sing, not only a single woman who's shot somebody I don't know a single woman who's pulled a gun out on somebody, and I know women who carry guns, right? So, um, but you know, I do know several women. Who, <laughs> you know, figuratively and biblically, louder than public, if you will. Yes, yes. But the other thing, the other story they tell is is Puffy's, you know, reaction to be blown away by the album, and they don't mention that Puffy produced multiple tracks on the album. So it's kind of like, but he did forgot. he produce? Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, did I produce yeah. that? <laughs> that? might be. Oh yeah, Puffy. Oh yeah, I did. Uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah that, the producer that's, gets that's a certain amount of a royal. Oh yeah, that's right. I did produce that one. I, I think that's I produced some other ones. But you too. know, <laughs> you know, the thing that's blew, that blows my mind is that too. I I don't know how they don't put together the fact that the phone has stopped ringing. The phone has stopped ringing. I wonder why the phone has stopped ringing after all those. Pla- my voice hasn't changed. I could still. Why? Is it, because you, why don't you get together with Mickey Rourke and the two of you can talk about how that phone no longer rings. It, you, the way you look is so distracting that anything coming out of your mouth, I can't pay attention to. He could do the wrestler because that made sense. He's all angry because he wasn't in the Irishman. If you were watching him in the Irishman, you'd be watching the whole time going, Mickey, what the fuck? What's, what's with Mickey's face? What's with his face? You know, it's like the reunion so. of Arrested Development when they all come back and everybody's had horrific plastic surgery and they're just shocked. But that's off topic. Let's focus. The <laughs> other thing they left out is, you know, they they mentioned the Faith Evans marriage to Biggie. They don't mention Lil Kim and Biggie publicly having an affair and and driving a big wedge between Faith and Biggie. They don't mention that at all. And the fact that big, big Faith had moved out of his apartment and the whole bit, they don't go into any of that, which I don't know how relevant it was, but, you know. And then I Tupac mean, slept with who? Who, who did he slept with? Faith Tupac claimed he slept with Faith Evans, but I think grossly false. I mean, pretty obviously false. And, and How pretty obviously? <laughs> what do you mean? As a I mean, from her, from her account, is like they promised her $25,000 to guest on a song. And then it takes a long, long time to get the money out of him. And then she realizes and Tupac, according to Faith, Tupac demanded oral sex. And she said, you know, fuck off and, uh... and, and, you know, just give me my money. Thank you very much. Like, I don't know. It just seems real chicken shit on Tupac's part, that oh, whole man. bit. I mean, I thought she was only the Tupac but... defender, Nate. I can't defend that. You're the one that likes that song. You're the one <laughs> I do. That. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah, yeah. Let me get. The, I, I'm confused. So he says, "I want you to do a song on the record. I'll give you twenty five thousand dollars." She says, "Okay," and then he says, first you got to suck my dick." No, then she does so, the I song, don't... and then she's going back to get paid, and then he, the the tone changes, and he's demanding oral sex, and she's like, you know. Fuck off! Just give me the money, please. So, you know. did he did he pay the money? Apparently so. Yeah. 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 And then and I was then just playing. Just, I was just playing. Yeah. I had a, yeah, I had a similar talk. situation happen. The guy get, get, jerked me for the hey. money, the promoter, and he was like, "Hey man, you got to come to my house again." I was like, "Fine, cool." And I go to his house, and dude is like, "Attack dog," and he's got like two heavies with him, and they're just like 
stone face on either side. He's sitting in one of those big uh, uh, Huey Newton chairs, you know? <laughs> and uh, he's like this heavy roster cat, but it's like, bro, you owe me 500 bucks. I don't give a shit who you bring. And so, I, you know, I walk in and he's trying to like, scare, try to scare me. I go, you know what's not scared? My gun is not scared. Like, give me my fucking money, you know? So, <laughs> you try to play it unbelievable. off? From the perspective yeah, of Big and Tupac, your $500 yes, yes. is chump change. Utter, 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 yeah, you know, I know. You're missing multiple know, zeros I here. Know. So, but we still got to we got to kill Biggie here. So let's get back. Let's let's focus. So then the next section of the show is about the death of Big, and I thought they did a pretty good job. You know the classic Quincy Jones party at the at the automobile museum, and Biggie's on the West Coast trying to make amends. And the thing about it is, this whole feud, Biggie wanted no part of it from the get go. You know this was basically all Tupac and Shug Knight. You know and and very little from from big and and puffy and and so but biggie's mistake was trying to go to la and and squash the beef and then you know he gets killed but they do not then they don't speculate at all about who killed him in this not at all although the irony right vibe fueling the beef between east coast and the west coast right and then then he ends up going to a vibe party. party Yeah, maybe we can blame Vibe. I do think they do blame the media pretty convincingly on this documentary, and definitely the media played a part in it. And and the other thing I thought they left out. Go ahead. Just, I mean, for me, what that was about was a a New York guy's fundamental misunderstanding of LA, Mm. of 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 the West Coast. And you know, as a New York guy myself, I you know, (laughs) I, I could completely understand it because people took me to bad neighborhoods in Carson and Compton in, in San Francisco. And I was like, what? They're trees. Mm, <laughs> I see trees and, and so, green. So, so in other, right. In other words, I, this is just a macro version yeah. of me not having any sense of what West coast danger looked mm. or felt like, you know? Um, and, and, and so I think he came out thinking that it was, was like a version of New York. Like, you know, there's like Manhattan. Or how mobile dangerous people are in LA. Mm. You know, cause he was like, Correct. Hey, party in Beverly Hills. How safe can you be? But everybody's got cars and, you know, other than yeah, the traffic problems, you can get from Compton to Beverly Hills pretty quickly, you know, which you. in yeah. New York, you got to get the subway or whatever. It's, it's not yep, like, yep, you know, yep. the South Bronx is going to yep. go down to Manhattan, uh, you know, right. and, and, right. and shoot shit up. So, you know, so it was a really was, major miscalculation. It's a major miscalculation. And the only yeah, thing I was, I was, I was curious about it, that given how much they hung out together, how come uh, Puffy wasn't in that car? He was in the car in front of him. I mean, you know, he's trying, to, he's trying to jump up conspiracy. Was, was he? No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not accusing him of anything. Well, they were each in cars with bodyguards. This yeah. is the thing, and and drivers. So and, and so and who was who was killed? Biggie was killed outside of outside of him. Nobody. I mean, no, not nobody even else the in the car was even touched. That's some. Yeah. That's some. Not even the bodyguard. That's where they fired, you know, exactly yeah. like Tupac. You know, they, they went after the guy sitting shotgun and, and got him. Um, but then the other thing, then they do the funeral in Brooklyn, which is very compelling. I mean, all of Brooklyn came out. It reminded me of, of 
newsreel footage of Dion O'Banion, the Chicago gangster, when he died, or Elvis when Elvis died, or Kurt Cobain in Seattle, or Brian Jones when he died. You know, these massive public funerals. And that was one thing I, that I thought they could have compared him to somebody like Elvis or Brian Jones, like these rock stars, because that's how big he was. And and they get across the idea that Brooklyn loved him, but they didn't really, to me. And they got across the idea that his mother finally gets it. Oh, my son was a star. And this is, you know, has this emotional impact, but, but I really think that they should have hammered home just how big Biggie was. I mean, this comes a massive, massive, massive star. And so was Tupac. And that's one thing I wanted to bring up from last time. Another thing that Tupac fucked up is Tupac had a pretty unique opportunity because, you know, if you look at the history of music and movie stars, you know, Bing Crosby, massive, recording star massive movie star frank sinatra you know massive music star oscar winner just like bing was elvis was a big movie star but he was not a legit a-list movie star the beatles had one big movie and basically walked away and after that rock and roll and music and movies went their separate ways and tupac suddenly is basically instantly a-list actor and I think had he lived, he would have done many, many roles and probably his loss to Hollywood was a bigger loss than his loss to music or at least as big. Hmm. So. Oh, 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 stop it. I just saw Method Man. I saw Method Man and Soul Plane and that was up there with Olivier. Come on. (laughs) Method Man was great in The Wire. Have you seen, have you seen Soul Plane? I'll have to catch up on on Soul Plane. But I mean, there's a whole generation of rappers who did Great, you know, I had great Hollywood careers. Ice T, Ice Cube, um, et cetera, best, et cetera. Who, who is the best one? I'll tell you right now, and you're not going to get it. With the, the best, best rapper, actor, the best, the best rapping best, actor. Correct, correct. Is you tell me. Most deaf. Uh, yeah, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. No no. no, 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 no. I'm not. I'm not knowing you. I'm just saying that that was something yeah. that was yeah. even when he was blowing up. People were like, well. Why is he rapping when he's a movie? You know what I mean? Like he totally, totally. And he was a mainstream actor and kind of an underground rapper, but we'll get to most stuff in a couple episodes. Anyway, I just, I just thought, because watching that Brooklyn funeral, um, it reminded me of Elvis at Graceland when, when Elvis died, you know, I mean, this was a big, big deal and they do get that across, but I really think they could have compared it to some of these, some of these white rock stars and, and hammer that home. But that, that was about it. I mean, otherwise I felt like they covered this stuff um, as well as they had to, but I like the episodes when they're able to talk about like a small scene, the regional scenes, the way they cover the regional scenes, Miami, Houston, or we're going to go to Memphis and new Orleans later on in the series is way more interesting than when they're covering these superstar celebrity stuff. And they have to talk about Tupac and Biggie. It's probably the biggest story yeah. in rap history. But yeah. to me, something a show like this that's about evolution of music, the once somebody's already made it and their their scene is at the top, it's less interesting to me than the up and coming scenes. That's mm. that's all. So anyway, it's also we'll interesting to me. Huh? It's a, it's also interesting to me that the, that the, there are only two styles of music that have actually breached the the the, the, the thin membrane between fantasy and reality, and it's hip hop and, and and like black metal <laughs> right it's like Norwegian black metal Norwegian black metal like it's only two, two scenes that have actually really resulted in dead people and that you know I like, Country music I, I can see, I'm, I'm with not, 
But obviously, you know, with Phil Spector, but he doesn't count because he. Had well, I mean, it was, his career was way over by the time you know he he yeah, actually murdered somebody. But country music, there's tons of stories, you know, just inches from people's heads yeah. where Hank Williams could have shot yeah. somebody or Ernest Tubb. Ernest Tubb, yeah. I believe, did shoot somebody in, in a, a major radio station. I think he was going after one well, of the big but shots. I'm, I'm, I'm Opry, about, but, yeah, lead, lead Belly killed a boy. But, you know, I'm just... I'm but Lead Belly did that before he was famous. Like, he was in jail. Then That's he gets true. out of jail to become a folk singer. So, yeah, no, right. this is true. Right. And this was the big problem with Big In... The tragedy of Big In Tupac and what I think people learned from this was let's keep the feuds on the records sell records have fun and and not get murdered you know which they said, I had a, they said I, 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 I let's had a, get rid of uh, the feuds and that's what killed hip-hop we're going to get into the next episode yeah, yeah we'll get into that but we'll I, come I back a, and we'll I, I, go I ahead had a problem with a guy i had a problem with a guy in your city and i had to remind him of the tupac biggie thing and said we could just bow our separate ways and play our little shows for our little measly few dollars or you could like we could go some other place with this and the guy was like are you serious i go yeah i'm serious we could just forget about it and move on he goes forgotten i go good yeah that's see it. that's how you squash your in the but... same gang yeah, yeah. so when we come back <laughs> from a real life two-week break on the show it'll just be a short break and we'll come back and we'll talk about what sean puffy combs did after biggie died the emergence of jay-z and the dreaded jiggy era which none of our hip-hop snobs here approve of <laughs> all right i don't so think it's like it's like uh, don't jump jump through gun on that one And now a word from our sponsors. Me and my fan roll tight like the firm. Getting down for life, shrag. You better learn why I play with fire, you burn. We get together like a choir to acquire what we desire. We do dirt like worms, produce G's like sperm. To legs spread like germs. I got extensive holes with expensive clothes. And I sit fine wines and spit vent the slows. But y'all know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cause you can't knock the hustle. It's time to let it roll. I'm your host, Nate Wilcox, and we're back again with Alexi Old and Eugene S. Robinson to continue our discussions of Netflix Hip Hop Evolution documentary series. This week, we're talking about Season 3, Episode 3, Pass the Mic, which looks at the tiny mammals running through the underbrush while the giant dinosaurs of the Jiggy era rampaged across the earth in their shiny suits. So, fellas, general thoughts on the episode. Alexi? Ah, where do I begin? (laughs) (laughs) All right, Eugene. (laughs) Like I said, I I find a lot of that stuff aspirational, just given where I was in my life and my time at that point. You know, some of these cats who wanted all that authenticity were just broke, you know? And by the time this stuff hit, I wasn't broke, but, you know, I wasn't, yeah. You know, there's a guy I knew, Greg Crossfield, and he's the first one who said, 
Yeah, I said, how you doing, Greg? He's like, oh, man, I'm getting that paper. I was like, what, what paper? But <laughs> <laughs> well, you see, the thing, that was the, the thing that was confusing is he was actually in the paper business. <laughs> he ran, he, mm. he ran, you know, like a, he did a mini version of Kinko's. He was like this up and coming black executive going to do this like Kinko's thing. So he's talking about paper. So what are you talking about? Gravure? What are we talking about? You know, multiple, multiple but he, uh, I don't know, man. I, it was a good, I thought it was a good time. I, I, I wasn't going to that music for anything other than entertaining, you know, uh, entertainment. So I didn't need social media. Like, for example, I have better feelings about the Jiggy era because it was honestly what it was. Then I do a lot of the, about a lot of the black identity uh, politic stuff that came out, which I thought was those were false notes because these people had clearly never been been back to Africa. You know what happens when you go back to Africa? You know what Africans think when you go back to Africa? Go back to America. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they think. Go home. Go home. So it's just like I thought that was fantasy stuff. Whereas the G stuff, you know, I, I got angry at P. Diddy at one point, and then he had a line from one of his songs. He goes, uh, 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 any girl uh, fucking with me, believe me, that's a privilege. And, and I was start thinking like, man, that guy, what is it? And then I realized, well, well wait a minute. He's right. <laughs> He's right. Dude's like almost a billionaire. <laughs> like if you happen to luck into hanging out with a billionaire in that way, you know, that's probably a privilege. <laughs> it's not a right, certainly. So I don't I don't have negative feelings about it. I, I have made ne- ne- now flash forward a couple of years. I have negative feelings about it because it was revealed to be what it was, which was artistically sort of empty. But as music of the time, I, I enjoyed it. Alexei, have you gathered your thoughts now? Yeah, so Jiggy Era or Freestyle Fellowship Era? We're talking about this episode, the Pass the Mic Underground, which is a response to the Jiggy Era. Yeah, contemporaneous so, with the Jiggy Era. So I, when Rod Digger was talking about how she felt about Puffy and that whole Jiggy thing, I felt that too is one of the things that kind of drove me out of of hip hop. Uh, my favorite group, Helta Skelta, hip hop group. Their first album, Nocturnal, was phenomenal, and then their second album, Magnum Force. They did a fish-eyed lens jiggy era video, and that Gary Gray, sad. yeah, exactly, yeah. Oh, we're doing the oh, the fishbowl lens. Oh, so uh, so so for the freestyle fellowship, that kind of stuff. I do remember Lyricist Lounge in New York, but first with freestyle fellowship, my introduction to them was when I was still in D.C watching their video on MTV as a pure casual. And it was steeped in, at the time, what I felt was, once again, mainstream Rolling Stone media trying to take away the core of hip hop, which is someone rapping over a turntable and having jazz in it instead. And we're gonna, it's, it's gonna be this jazz kind of thing, man. And, and, and so it just, to me, just seemed like fake and pretentious. I didn't like their flow. I, 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 I didn't care for them at all. I didn't get it and understand it. Nobody I knew was rocking their stuff. Um, so that's why when I saw that there was so much time spent on them in this segment yeah. and the other people, who they spent no time on Houdini, Slick Rick, yeah, Audio Slick Rick Two, was a big mistake. Yeah. even uh, uh, EPMD, uh, EPMD, even EPMD. Vanilla Ice. I mean, let's be realistic. I mean, it, 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 so 
again, it's it's and the Beastie Boys got very little love, and so did LL Cool J. It, but yeah, that, and that and that I think is because they had to rush to get gangster rap in on the first season because it's 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 big. Like when you're doing a series like this, you got to have big names, and Houdini. And that whole second wave, know, other than Run DMC and LL Cool J, just didn't sur- hasn't survived as what this much cultural currency is. Or didn't as, give uh, an interview. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or, and that, that could be a thing. But but yeah, I agree. I think that Run DMC should have that Run DMC Houdini LL Cool J era should have had a whole Cool Modi, a whole oh. episode. Then they do another episode with Public Enemy and, and Eric B and Rakim, and then you can mm. fit in EPMD. And and put Slick Rick in that's with Dougie oh, Fresh in that second wave. Alternatively, you change the title of the show, which seems to be a much easier fix. Don't call it Hip Hop Evolution if you know you can't drop out. You know you can't you can't drop out Cro-Magnon Man, right? You can't drop out Neanderthals and expect you know if Evolution. If that's what we're talking about, then mm. didn't just change the title, make it you know Hip Hop Pracy, you know, or Hip Hop Summary, yeah. Yeah, you, uh, you, guys, you guys, you guys, are, you guys are hating now. But I, I mean, I think, I think what they're trying to do here, and what they do, we should summarize the episode a little bit. They start out with the underground scene in Greenwich Village. Uh, what's the name of the park? It was Washington Square Park. Washington Square like Park. Right that's, right. Right. that's a college. That's the thing. It's okay. a college park where you know. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a famous park, and that's where like the Bob Dylan, Dave Van Ronk era folkies gathered in the 60s out of their hootenannies, even the Weavers back in the 50s. So it's a historic story park that's been a big part of grassroots music in New York for a long time. So I I thought that was great to cover that. They had Supernatural in there, who's a big battle rapper, although they didn't cover any of his big uh, battles. You know, they didn't mention him being a famous battle battle rapper at all. I mean, there's a whole documentary, Freestyle, The Art of Rhyme, that came out about 15 years ago that focuses on supernatural talks about his rivalry with Craig G, you know, how, and they had a classic rivalry. I think they had like three or four goes and, and each one of them got their wins. And then he had a big rivalry with MC juice. Uh, who's a white guy. I want to say out of Chicago, none of that gets mentioned in this. And they also should have um, tied it into that. The, the Washington square park had a pretty healthy skate scene had and still has. And mm-hmm. you see some of the people with their decks in it. And that was like, Beastie Boys crossover style because those guys used to skate there as well. So you know, yeah, um, that would have been. Yeah, a nice I mean, segue. I, yeah, I, but I, you I'm know, look, 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 look. It, 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 it is what it is, right? I, I mean, these are just things that I'm thinking as I'm watching it. So yeah, it's their yeah. show. And I mean, at the end of the day, like I'm not so butthurt about it. I'm going to do my own thing unless some viewer out there has some money and they want to <laughs> finance. Nothing wrong you know what with cracks me up? Nate and Eugene together to finance. I mean, if you want to finance a, a true, mm-hmm. a true evolution with the Cro Magnum man yeah. and Neanderthals up in that joint. Well, you know, I, I think I watched, I watched ahead of you guys just a little bit. And what cracks me up and that now I've seen it. I can't unsee it. These cutaways that they keep doing of him walking. It's like, yeah. yo, bro, you like executive producer. Can't you get a car? He's you Uber for place walking in the street. I gotta watch you walking around know, Atlanta yeah. for and ten minutes. You know, that is a little <laughs> yeah, bit right, of a right. tip. You know, I know, honey. Yeah. Either it's not like he's walking around. You're like, damn, who's that? It's like, no, it's yeah, just him. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, like, yeah. They kind of move back in time because what they don't tell you is that the Washington Square Park stuff was happening in the early '90s because Giuliani mm-hmm. comes along in what '93. And he yep. shuts that shit down. And that inspires the opening of the Lyricist Lounge, which is the first 
title segment of of this episode and it's another one where the, the first third of the episode doesn't have a title segment so that was a tiny bit annoying but they i, I do think this is right back oh, to like when oh, okay. why did you send me down the jiggy road at the beginning of the show what the that hell was that up, about man. like marion barry because this is all it's happening at the wall same, too, just like marion barry <laughs> same time this is an answer to the jiggy air that's the whole reason they set up this episode this episode is the same way right the same way the episode was set up yes. you were set up eugene exactly yes. you fell for it <laughs> my finished plot but you know they don't I, mention raucous records I did put go to out a lyricist lounge. Stuff. I forgot to mention that. I did go uh, to and eventually went uh, to a lyricist lounge. When to New York? When? Like what uh, year? It was late. It's probably '94. I went to a, a lyricist. No, '95. Went to a lyricist lounge, and it was exactly. I was there. Watch. I was watching my wife, and I was like, "Yeah, I went to one. And it was like too many dudes. I was like, we're the honeys. I'm out. Peace." <laughs> and then that's what it was. A sausage fest. I was like, of course yeah. it was. I fucking, yeah. In and out of the lyricist. Oh, where's? Oh, yeah, no thanks. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think, anytime you and get I think, into I think, it, I think that's, I think actually, he, that's, he's, he, Alexi, Alexi's delivering it as a throwaway point. I think that's significant. I do too, and it, it's something that goes along that you see in rock and roll, where you see, like in the British bands, Beatles had girls, the Yardbirds with their guitar heroics, the girls all left, but the dudes are at the front row, absorbing Jeff Beck and Jimmy Page's guitar heroics. That's what they call it, huh? And the girls, the girls don't give two shits, you know. But the dudes all want to learn this tech technique, and mm-hmm. and I think that I think it's a similar phenomenon where it's mostly dudes rapping. There are some women rappers here, and they feature them, but it's mostly dudes rapping. It's real technical. It's real focused on novelty, you know, elaborate lyrics, novel flows, jazz influence flows. In the case of L.A., um, but they don't talk about Rockus Records, which was putting out compilations of this yep. stuff. They put out the Lyricist Lounge compilations like in 98, which had cool Keith. And that's the thing that kills me is there's no cool God. Keith on here. There's no high tech, although, you know, high tech yeah, work. There could, be a, there could be half a dozen reasons why they didn't put cool Keith in there, man. <laughs> oh, sure, like, sure. Yeah. That, that did so to answer first, too. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm just saying, you know, and MF Doom, another guy that was around in this era that they didn't mention that was underground. But I see what they're going for. They're going for what? For this, they want to cover the Lyricist Lounge, which I think is a totally valid thing. And Most Def was obviously the biggest star to come out of this. But they don't talk about Most Def's movie career, which essentially stole him away from hip hop. They don't talk about Black Star as such. I mean, they've got Tlaib Kweli and most deaf, but they don't mention these guys were a group and they did an album together. Uh, you know, don't go into that at all. Um, and then, you know, they showed Caleb the Quali album. Today, they showed the album. Yeah, they didn't really talk. That's about true. It, that's true. And you know, and I think I think Jay Z's line. For, I can't remember what album it was on, but it says, "If skills sold, truth be told, I'd probably be lyrically to leave Quelly." So, you know, that's Jay doffing his hat to these guys, but also. You never had a sausage fest at Jay Z's shows. He knew how to bring in the ladies, bring in the crowds, sell records, you know, be a big star, which none of these guys did. But oh, another person they left out we forgot that criminally left out of, of hip hop evolution, the Fugees. Like, come on, man. Mm-hmm. Again, mm-hmm. yes. And also, I thought this episode was a good time they could have brought in the Far Side, who oh, came out of yeah, LA yeah, at man. the same time yeah. as the Freestyle Fellowship and yeah. had, but they Bigger never did. Them. And, 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 yes. 
bigger but than them. But didn't fit into the theme of this episode because they did. Yeah. They went straight to a label and they didn't dick around at the Good Life Cafe. So I don't know. I, th- I thought the whole thing with the Good Life Cafe was interesting and, and worth covering. And again, like the Freestyle Fellowship, I think I heard about them in the 90s, but I never paid them any mind whatsoever. And the people yeah. that I paid attention to two out of this scene was Jurassic five. So yes, when Jurassic yes, five is yes, saying yep. that, that, that freestyle fellowship were the guys, I give credence to that because cut chemist yeah. and, and the Jurassic five, I mean, they were mega big. In they weren't mentioned world, at so. all. That was not mentioned at all though. If you see Jurassic no, five, so it, if you know who they are, then it's like, Oh, Jurassic five. But then it's like, okay, they're going to talk yeah. about them right next. They're talk about them next. And they don't. But there's, yeah. is it, there was a, there's a weird thing that was happening here. And, and, and it was, I made the point once, and then I remember getting in trouble for it when I went to England after I made the point. But, you know, jazz used to be super popular music, right? You had 30-piece bands. You had people playing huge pavilions. And what started to happen is that uh, jazz musicians were like, why do we, you know, why do we got that woman out front singing? All she's doing is singing. You know, she can't play. Why we got to pay her? We'll just play. And so they start playing and then we get into we get into harmelodics and free jazz. That's ultimately where it ends up, right? It it bebop is what killed jazz's commercial entity way before you get into free jazz. You cannot blame right. Right. You know, you know you know why? You don't have Detail. bebop vocalist. You don't have bebop well, vocalist. I Sarah Vaughn, Ella Fitzgerald, there were lots of vocalists nah, that kept up nah, with Bebop to yeah, they, degree. They sang, they sang enough great standards where they could actually they served as a demiurge <laughs> for the, the, the desires of the crowd. So when these guys, you know, caught into, hey, we're gonna be like the jazz guys because they had this kind of ineffable cool, they were focused on the wrong jazz guys, you know. I mean, well, yes give, me no. Duke, I give, mean give me a Duke, give me a Duke Ellington, sorry. Yeah. Or a Count Basie. Miles, my, yep. Yeah, these guys were giants. The, the depth of their songbook over Miles Davis. You know, Miles Davis had the attitude, but you know, he, he it was his shift to rock in the end that saved his ass, you know. So, and yet you're um, one of the people who did more than anybody to turn punk rock into an artsy, fartsy medium that's big in Belgium. I mean, I just got to point that out. Nothing against Oxmo, but come on. I mean, it's not like Oxmo's commercially. You can be artistically significant and commercially viable. The Ramones being an example. Now, the Ramones probably want to play stadiums, but the way I'm looking at it, you know, the Ramones were artistically viable and commercially successful. I mean, I didn't see... Joey Ramon working at Starbucks. So, you know, in my mind, commercially yeah, they, successful. They so. And I'm glad you brought up the Bebop thing, though, because that's been kind of an obsession of mine doing this whole Let It Roll series. Because mm-hmm. there's a big bifurcation point in the mid 40s. Big bands died because of World War II. They drafted all the band members. Labor was cheap during the Depression. So in the 30s, it was cheap and easy to get a band of 15 or 20 guys. Mm-hmm. And then in World War II, you had gas rationing tire rationing everybody got drafted the musician union went on strike for multiple years so you couldn't make records so the the economics of big bands just died and right around that time because charlie parker had been in pop jazz bands he was in david shan's group and he was blown him away he played the savoy like they went up against lucky millinder i think is who who um Mm -hmm. And it might not have been Jay McShann that Parker was with, but whatever band Parker was with, they blew away Lucky Millinder, who was one of the hot Harlem bands of the time. And people mm. were digging what Charlie Parker was laying down with the crazy solos. He wasn't fully formed yet, but he was still out there with the solos. And there was a huge song 
called um fuck the hucklebuck which was a huge huge dance song in the late 40s that charlie yep. parker wrote the main riff to yep. so he could have been doing stuff like that but he deliberately chose to not do that and and it was yeah. partly a statement of black nationalism and intellectual independence what him and dizzy were doing but they were also kind of shocked when it wasn't popular like they went out to la after everybody been here and oh, there's this new shit coming out of Harlem. This is the stuff. This is the stuff. And you yeah. know, first night it's crowded. Second night, nobody's there. Basically, uh, not quite. That yeah, simple, but they, but, but they, was- but they knew. I mean, Louis Armstrong was already attacking them. I, what was his famous quote? I don't understand his Chinese music. That's what. That's what he dismissed. Well, it sure. Chinese yeah. music. Yeah, I mean, right? it was so- it was impossible to dance to, and it was really harmonically complicated. And meanwhile, Louis Jordan, who comes well, out of the succeeds, chick-led it's, group, it's, it's succeeded as long as they did standards because you could imagine Stella by Starlight I can hear the voice in my in my head even if Charlie Parker's playing along with the rip right so but once they said you know why are we even doing standards I got this original tune you know in comes Bud some of that stuff was catchy but I mean, they lose the vocalist wait, 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 who, did, who did in comes Bud who did that uh, um, uh, wasn't that Dizzy that did that some yeah, I think it was dive no, because there was a DC go go band called the Huckabucks, Bucks yeah. and they had the Bud, which was uh In Walks Bud, Bud is a Thelonious Monk song. That's right. And Thank it's you. based yeah. and it's based on Irving Berlin's Blue Skies. Well high school alumni of me. Well, this ah, Bud from go. the Huckabucks was based on the Budweiser Frogs. We got the ah. Bud. Bud, 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 Bud. Wise Bud. I, th- bud, I think bud, we've gotten off, off track. <laughs> yeah, we're well off track. But the last thing I wanted to bring in now was that Louis Jordan was a jazz guy who went R- who invented R&B in the, around that same yep. period of time. And he was massively successful in the mid-40s, like – you know, there was one year I think he was in the charts, had the number one chart record on the R&B charts for like 47 out of 52 weeks of the year. Damn. Like this guy was absolutely fucking immense. And he was not obviously not the brilliant soloist that Charlie Parker was, but he was a perfectly competent soloist and a great band leader. He narrowed the band down to a five piece or seven piece and had the bigger beat, not even with amplification, but just because I don't know, the way they played, the beat was loud enough to carry a big ballroom. But anyway, jazz splits at this point in 45. Parts of it goes to R&B and becomes massively po- stays massively popular like mm-hmm. jazz had been. Part becomes bebop. But I'm not going to reject everything that came out of bebop because I no, love Miles no, no, no. Davis. Kind of blue, you know, all the way up yep. through the fusion stuff. I mean, Miles well, is I one of the melodics, But I'm a fan of harmelodics and Ornette Coleman and free jazz. I like that stuff, so. Yeah, yeah. I, under, I understand it's not popular. <laughs> yes, yes. Although it, it did have a lasting impact. So there's, you know, multiple ways to skin a cat. And I think that's what these guys were doing is that this was an era in hip hop where some people are just saying, hey, I'm not going to compete with Jiggy and I'm going to try to try to do something artistic. And I think that's totally valid. And, and they ended up the same way, same way some of those jazz cats did. Well, Broke. the thing that now the, the the thing that killed the freestyle fellowship is one of them went to prison. So the same shit that was catching all the gangster yeah. rappers is catching the artsy rappers. I mean, you're black yeah. in America. What do what, 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 what go to what do you go to prison for? I didn't even look into it, but I'm sure it's some yeah. trumped up bullshit. I I, I always yeah, you assume, don't know that. I don't know that, but nine yeah. times out of ten, so like I like these gangster guy, rappers talk about. You know, jail hey, when and I, shit. Where, where? When I went to jail, when I went to jail, when I went to jail, it was for false information 
to a police officer. <laughs> Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> that's, that's, trumped we know. Up, we that's trumped up shit, you know. Robin <laughs> yeah. Rickensdorf might not be trumped up shit, right? Yeah, it's true. But I mean, old dirty bastard, you know, his big sentence was for wearing a bulletproof vest, which is just bullshit. Yeah, that, that's, Trump, that's trumped up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, so I do not know what 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 took out the dudes from Freestyle Fellowship. Or the, I think yeah. it was just one of them that went to jail. But anyway, I don't know. I've enjoyed going back and listening to Freestyle Fellowship. I enjoyed going back and listening to Black Star which I'd never listened to. And most Def and Talib Kweli's first couple albums were pretty good. So, you know, I don't know. I think the purpose of the show is to introduce you to a lot of stuff yep. and kind of yep. give an overall narrative. And I've, I've, I dig the function of this. And, and what's leading up to, and we'll talk about next time, is Eminem comes out of a similar scene in Detroit a little bit later. And so that, that's how they're weaving this together. Because they've got to have superstars to anchor these shows. And this one's built around most yep. Def, who's honestly more of an actor than a hip-hop guy in terms of his overall accomplishments and eminem is gonna set the world on fire i know talk about him uh, i got a couple of most i have a couple of most deaf records they're actually phenomenal you know yeah no he's Um, he's really really good but he's kind of to me one of these guys who was the heir apparent you know I mean, and, and he had his hands he, always in, in two different things. I remember, yeah, when, uh, and, before Black Star blew up, he had that, um, he had that commercial. He was on uh, some credit card commercial. Like, oh, most stuff is on a credit card commercial. So. Yeah, and he also had a group with his sister, I think, um, before he had Black Star, and mm. and then there was a period when he and Doctor No of the Bad Brains were trying to put together the authentic Black answer to Limp Biscuit which I think it says a lot about the difficulty of doing that, that they never really produced anything, but they did talk a ton of shit. And he put together what sounded like an all-star black rock band and, you know, ultimately never produced anything. So I'm not dissing most deaf, but the guy's got, you know, the black star. But what I kind of did glean is, is this a little uh, foreshadowing into let it roll new metal? <laughs> Eventually we'll get there. And when we talk oh, about man. the hip hop evolution series, there's a great episode of New Metal that kind of turned my head around uh, a little bit because I always just hated and despised that stuff. But yeah. um, the Ted no, Joya, no you could just hear me out. Ted Joya, who's been one of the most interesting music writers that I've researched for this series, his book Subversive Music and Subversive History points out that like. You're never going to separate craziness like violence and social upheaval from the very best cutting edge music. Like those two things always go together. And when you look at the shit that Limp Biscuit stirred up, I really do think they were playing with fire because they were the only authentic redneck hip hop band to have massive success, be authentically metal. And I mean, they were dismal hip hop. And I always viewed yeah, that stuff as just a dead end at the time. But anyway, I'm just saying, when we get to the hip hop evolution, or the heavy metal evolution series, there will be a new metal episode and we can discuss it at the so time. I'm so I'm open. Huh? Heavy metal evolution. I'm so there, man. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll get there. As soon as we wrap up this hip hop business, we'll move on to the, to the metal. But anyway, next time we're going to come back and we're going to talk about Eminem. Follow the Let It Roll podcast on Twitter at Let It Rollcast and check out our website at LetItRollPodcast.com. 
Next week, Nate will return with Eugene S. Robinson and Alexi Old to continue their discussion of hip-hop evolution with a discussion of Season 3, Episode 3, Pass the Mic, which features most Def and Eminem. Let It Roll is a Pantheon podcast, and you can listen to more great podcasts at www.pantheonpodcasts.com. Let It Roll is dedicated to the memory of Ed Ward, Russell Thomas, and Danny Park. Splash Weather Repel Premium Windshield Wash features a 3-in-1 formula that repels rain, sleet, snow, and bugs while leaving a streak-free shine. And its advanced beating technology keeps you seeing safely all year long. See safely on the road when you apply a little splash. Pick some up at Walmart today. And now another no-brainer money-saving tip from Progressive. It looks like your luggage is over 50 pounds. Is there anything you can take out? Oh, yeah. Let me just toss all these $20 bills. Great. Let me grab you a trash can. Stop. Instead of throwing money away, move some clothes into a carry-on. And here's a better tip from Progressive on how not to waste money. Don't pay too much for car insurance. Drivers who switch and save could save hundreds. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Potential savings will vary. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.